Panic at the Disco. The Fury Theory starts right now. The Fury Theory Podcast, brought to you by EFB Advocacy. Coronavirus sweeps the globe, spooks the markets, and draws the ire of President Trump. John Easton, is it time to panic? Well, it's funny. You don't see the three of us with masks on now, do you? Right. No, because it really would mess up our audio. <laughs> right. And, and our, fa- our beautiful faces. No, it is uh, not time to panic, I don't think. But I do think that this is time for really needed leadership, uh, particularly at the local level. We're talking mayors, governors, police chiefs, military. Uh, we're talking about school leaders, church leaders, and and how they communicate with the public, really reassuring, reassuring them, you know, their constituents. Uh, that, um, you know, this is they have a plan and in place and we're going to follow it and we don't need to panic because the public's informed about uh, what's going on. Yeah, I, th- I agree with that. I think that people need to be reassured by leaders, not thrown into further panic. The media is not helping things. Um, you know, Adam Belmar, you have interviewed Dr. Anthony Fauci um, for your amazing podcast, Amazing Things. I recommend it to everybody to listen to all his podcasts, but especially that one. Um and he, he kind of prepared for this with Ebola. He talked to you about Ebola, but it really does transfer because panic, people get, got panicked by Ebola. They seem to be even more panicked by coronavirus. Well, there are some very important factual differences. But first of all, Dr. Fauci has been a leader of infectious disease in the United States for 30 plus years. And he is a phenomenal human scientist and leader and a great advocate for increased federal investment in preparation, uh, which we do very well in this country. So to Ebola, and this came up at the press conference with the president as well, who is under-informed, as most of us are as lay people, but that that is a very specific uh, disease that manifested in Africa that did not, uh, because of the kind of healthcare we have and hygiene and other things in the United States, we were never at increased risk for a real outbreak here like they had there. Now, that's primarily because infected bodily fluids are how that is transmitted. So you have to be essentially a caretaker for those who are infected or someone who's dealing with bodies after people have passed on. Now, the flu virus, which is what we are seeing the health officials compare coronavirus to, is spread by sneezes Mm -hmm. and, you know, shaking hands and, and in a very common way. So the panic that people are, are trying to apply uh, in the media or otherwise is going to come when folks really are not well and are not going to work for an extended period of time. A parent is sick or a child is out of school or a teacher is not able to cover a class or work in supply chains are at issue. That's where we're headed on a worldwide basis. And I think that's why you see um, the stock market's going down. But Dr. Fauci in particular is saying, look, what you're saying, John, we have really good planning in place, but this need for money from the federal government isn't just about throwing money at a problem. Municipalities, like you say, mayors, governors, countywide systems, they're all going to need to spend in order to prepare for what is coming and how to handle it once it's here, when it comes, and that may not be this year. Um, but that money is really important. So we're getting off to, I think, to a good start bipartisanly uh, in Congress about, hey, we need to uh, uh, less money be, be spent on this. So inject more money. I think that's probably right. I think Congress, you know, the president initially said $1.5 billion, but if they're going to spend $5, 7000000000 billion, I don't know what the final number is going to be. Uh, John Easton, uh, Donald Trump 
um, it has put a lot of stock in the stock market. Mm-hmm. Um, the stock market is taking a nosedive. Not quite a good time to buy, but getting hopefully getting to the bottom, and then we can start buying again. Um, how bad is this for the president? The president didn't look that reassuring in this press conference. He pointed Mike Pence to be the leader, uh, kind of shifting the blame to him, I guess. Um, how bad is this for President Trump? Well, the the stock market, I don't think, is where he gets himself in trouble. I don't think that's the worst thing that could happen to, to Donald Trump. I don't I don't think it's uh, as good for him when the stock market is high uh, as he thinks it is, but and it's not as bad for him when it's really tanking. You know, I, I just don't think he gets credit or blame too much either way, uh, even though he bear hugs the stock market. I, I think that his biggest uh, landmines are with uh, credibility during a crisis. Can he acquit himself as a national leader during a time of of potential panic among Americans? Uh, I, I think that you know his tendency to mouth off is one thing during when he's in the trend, political trenches arguing and debating about immigration policy, tax policy, or even impeachment. Right? It's um, it's it that that's a whole nother set of politics. But this, when your sole objective is to reassure Americans and protect Americans. Um, I think that him passing this test is, you know, could be the most important aspect of his presidency. I remember when I worked um, in the Congress and worked for the Speaker of the House, and we put him in a press conference talking about the anthrax attack. And he said things that were right, but people didn't believe. And he got attacked by guys like Brick Hume saying he didn't know what he was talking about. At that point, I decided, you know, I'm not going to have then he has to talk about this anymore. I'm going to put the chief of police out because I didn't want him to have to take these questions. And no matter what he said, he was going to get attacked. So as having credible messengers, I think, is really, really important. Adam, um, is Mike Pence a credible messenger or do we need someone like Fauci to be talking? I honestly think that people have misunderstood what the president has actually done by putting the vice president in charge here. They speak about a whole of government approach. And if you're going to be whole of government in this era, You need someone with the president's full imprimatur, and that is the vice president. He is there. His tentacles go throughout the entire government. He's a former governor. Um, He has the gravitas that the HHS secretary, Azar, that CDC folks can um, lean on to utilize, to get red tape cut, to break through some barriers. That's what it is. He's not looking at science. He's being kept uh, up to date and using the power of his leadership and his office and all of the weight of the federal government to make sure that the president's priority is met. So stop knocking uh, Mike Pence if you're out there. Be glad that the president has put someone uh, who is so wise in terms of how our government works and working with Congress in charge. But the rest of those other people who the president was flanked by in the briefing room, they are there. They're as large and in charge as they can be. This is why we have these people. That's right. And, you know, I, I think that that putting Mike Pence in, in, in that spot is actually really good. If that's your political spokesman on this, yeah. then this is a this is a leader that does not step in it yeah. often at all. He's very careful. Right. So if you have him flanked by the people Adam was just talking about, I, I actually think you've set yourself up for for a win here. Yeah, he's, he's very disciplined. He's also got a good staff behind him. Yep. Um, there's some good people working for the vice president. I think that's a good choice. John, um, talking a little bit about United for Medical Research, one of our clients, you know, one of the things that you've been working on with Adam and with our team here at EFB 
is trying to increase funding for medical research. And you've been very successful. Now, the president every year puts out a budget that cuts medical research and a bunch of other stuff. He's getting attacked for those, but the, the budget, even though Congress, because of work like for our client and for you, what you've been able to accomplish, um, the money's gone up for medical research. Mm-hmm. So talk about the politics of this. Why did this president even put out a budget if he's going to get attacked for it? Well, let's go to your earlier point and question about uh, the... The attack and and really it was it started I thought at least the first I saw it was at the Democratic debate in South Carolina where uh, former Vice President Joe Biden really mounted what what can be called as a, a political drive-by shooting on, <laughs> on on this and what he said was that during the Obama administration they had increased funding for na- uh, the National Institutes of Health NIH and then Donald Trump turns around and wipes it all out well that is you know just profoundly untrue. What, what has happened? Yes. Did, did President Trump propose cuts to a variety of agencies, including including NIH? Yes. But did he sign legislation that increased uh, NIH funding? Yes. Not only, not only last year, but the year before that and the year before that. So th- his track record on this is signing legislation by Congress, of course, because th- they were the real drivers of this, to an increase to NIH of $2.6 billion, $2 billion, and $3 billion. That's $7.6 billion increase in the last three fiscal years. That's what Donald Trump has, has signed. I am not saying he proposed that, but it doesn't become law unless the president signs it. So it's, it's, really, it's really dishonest uh, to say that. I get it. In a presidential race, both sides are guilty of this. But I feel like this is an area where you're trying to inform people that this, this administration is underfunding medical research during a time of crisis. Right. During a time of, of, of a potential pandemic in this country, that is really irresponsible. I, I agree with you uh, completely. I, I, I was also going to say that when you peel this onion back a little bit, what you find is that there are great Republican leaders and Democratic leaders in both houses of Congress who have quietly thwarted the political document known as the presidential budget over the last three years. So even though the president, for whatever reason, has a list of priorities that's been codified as a budget and NIH has been slated for major cuts, it it is this bipartisan group with very important Republican leaders that have turned that around. And then, as John Easton says, put something that is not only reasonable, but uh, very proactive in this regard on his desk. And he signed it. And I think of guys, you know, on the Republican side, Tom Cole, who's just a great friend of EFB, uh, a great friend of UMR. Roy Blunt, who's been here, a great friend of EFB, great friend of UMR. I mean, they're fighting every day to increase funding with their with bipartisanship, with with the Democratic leaders and within their committees. And this has been successful. And the president goes out and he knows those budget cuts are not going to happen. He just does it anyway because he has to go through the exercise of the budget. But this is where, you know, budget uh, politics comes in and they, the White House kind of hurts itself when it d- does things that are just stupid like that. But anyway. Right. And it's a, to your, your other question about, you know, is this just kind of a silly exercise? It, it has become a bit of a silly exercise, not only the president's budget request, which is due every February, but, you know, what Congress is doing with its own budget, res- they, they, they are required to do a budget resolution themselves. Right. And some, some years they don't even do it. Right. So, you know, it, obviously the system is set up for the president to request and then the 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 Congress did both houses to take that seriously, have hearings on it, 
inject their own priorities and and come up with a with a a process that is a little bit more responsible and a little bit more uh, predictable. But that's not where we are. So, Adam, let's just conclude this podcast uh, this week. Um, you know, first I thought, boy, this is going to hurt the president, and then I thought, well, this is going to hurt my stock portfolio. And now I'm thinking, geez, I hope nobody I know gets sick from this darn coronavirus. Put this into perspective for us. Is so should people be worried um, about their family or should everyone just calm the frick down? Sadly, I think both things are true, that, that this is going to be a marathon and not a sprint. And so a heightened state of panic that is born out of some irrational idea of global pandemic is wrong. And it's not healthy. It's not healthy for our children or for us in our everyday lives. Having said that, preparedness is really important in the schools um, and even in business owners as we are. How do we continue to service our clients even in an area of time where, you know, people are getting sick and you might even see people with masks or, you know, we have increased um you know, absences. But I just think it's very important that the communication that goes on that people laugh at, which was really a part of the presidential press conference, washing your hands, sneezing appropriately. Um, Although I said you're not supposed to sneeze in your elbow because that gets in your clothes and the clothes. Yeah. I mean, I'm not an expert on how to sneeze, but I know this, that sneezing out into the open never is a bad idea. And I try <laughs> right. to not have my kids do it. Don't be sharing your drinks. All those kind of little things are important, but so too is the admonition every year that we all get our flu shots. Mm. This is public health policy at the highest levels. What are the things that we can do that people want to know? What's the secret? Won't you tell me? And yet we've told you a thousand times and we're going to keep telling everybody because this is how we beat and control and stave off spread of infection. And the public-private partnership that exists in this country, the science that is funded through NIH at our universities and what's going on in, in private companies that you hear about every day who are working on this, who have new vectors, uh, treatments, not just vaccines. This is where the promise of American scientific enterprise is greatest. And I'm fairly confident listening to our experts that we're going to deal with this. It's going to be just fine. Well, thank you for joining us this week uh, for the Fear Theory Podcast brought to you by EFB Advocacy, EFB Advocacy at EFB Studios. EFB stands for? Excellent for business. Yeah, baby. Yeah, baby.